Okay, everyone, welcome to another episode of the Charity Charge Show. I am super excited to bring to you today my guest, Brian Davis, who is the president of Bright Bridge, uh, which, which also happens to run CharityNet USA. Thank you so much, Brian, for being with us. I appreciate you having me, Stephen. Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, I think it's really timely to have you because I want to talk a lot about um, the new study that you had commissioned and recently published. Um, you know, I think it's really relevant as well. We, we had connected um, and had some really meaningful conversations um, at, towards probably the end of last year and the early part of this year. And then something happened, you know, and what that was, was COVID, right? Um, and, and we, we had our plans and we were, you know, we were talking together about how we can go sort of partner up and, and help nonprofits and how can, um, charity charge and bright bridge and charity net USA collaborate. Um, and then out of nowhere, we got COVID, which was a big, you know, wake up call and shock to, to all of us. Um, I appreciate, you know, reconnecting now. I think it's really timely because I think even before COVID, correct me if I'm not, you were working on commissioning this study. Is that correct? That's that's right. And I think it was February. You and I were were chatting about possibly doing a podcast together. And yes. I said, "Hey, that that sounds fantastic." But we're we're about ready to go live with our study, and I'd love to to come on and talk about the study once we get the results. And you know, our our thought was by you know May June we'd have our study results in hand and be happy to talk about them. And then uh, then the pandemic hit. Um, the the the, the plus side for us is we went, we went to field uh, with the study uh, right as the pandemic was taken off. Uh, so while the study was not intended to be about COVID, um, we you know, did go ahead and um, uh, engage nonprofits to also understand what were the impacts that COVID was having you know, on their organizations right in the thick of it. So right in March and April uh, timeframe. And because of that, um, you know, when we normally would have closed out the study in April, May, we actually opened it back up and went back into uh, the field in September to kind of close that gap. So we kind of, the study was never intended to be a COVID study. It was intended to really understand the challenges of emerging nonprofits that we define as less than five years old. Uh, but we also got great insight into understanding, you know, how did the pandemic hit them? Uh, so we, you know, um, really got good insight into not only their kind of common everyday challenges, but what what did the pandemic uh, do to those organizations? I want, I'm excited to unpack it further. Just to be clear with people, um, you know, listening or watching along, the title uh, going off of what Brian had shared is titled The Essential Work of Emerging Nonprofits, Challenges in the First Five Years and the Impact of the Pandemic. You know, I liked how you broke it up into um, the four core challenges that you, you know, discovered and went deeper on, which was those four compliance, staffing, financial health, and fundraising. What, you know, I'd like to first just ask you, um, what were some of the surprises that, that, you know, kind of, if you could comment on the big picture learnings um, that came out of it for you and for your team, and then also if there was any key sort of surprises, maybe if you got something that you weren't expecting or learned something that you weren't anticipating. Yeah, I, I think well, I'll start with what wasn't surprising, mm -hmm. <laughs> just to get that out of the way. Sure. What, what wasn't surprising is legal and compliance kind of coming in at the, at the number one challenges. 
Uh, and legal and compliance, we kind of classify as, you know, forming, uh, forming the 501c3, getting that status, uh, getting registered in their, the states that they're operating in. So they, they're legally able to, to solicit uh, for donations, uh, as well as everything that's involved from a maintenance. So, uh, you know, your, the annual reporting uh, requirements and keeping up with all that, both at the state and the federal level. Um, and then fundraising was the other, other, other topic. So, you know, uh, so many times people have a passion and they get, they get going, uh, they form their nonprofit and then they kind of hit that first speed bump of, well, how are we going to raise funds? <laughs> so, yes. um, so those two weren't so surprising. What was, um, what was surprising that we found is they indicated volunteer management and setting the strategy as, as kind of less challenges in those first, in those first couple of years. And, uh, I, you know, I would have expected, you know, uh, that, that to be an, a, a bigger challenge and how are they going to get volunteers and get, get them mobilized and how are they going to organize them and, and whatnot. So that was the, that was the primary surprise for the most part, you know, there, there weren't any big aha gotchas. It was more of a lot of a validation and more importantly, what are we going to do with this information? How can mm -hmm. we better support and coach um, you know, these, you know, more smaller emerging nonprofits as they, as they get operational. Sure. And, you know, on that, what I want to share with everyone is my, um, as I've gotten to know Brian here, uh, I've really been impressed just with your character and your passion. I think that more and more we're seeing a trend of, you know, the model that candidly we're I'm biased to, but we're pursuing at charity charge, which is, you know, a social enterprise it's, or it's, and it's a model rooted in how do we, um, you know, earn an honest living, but also make sure that we're really giving back and adding value. And, you know, I obviously know you're doing that with Charity Net USA and then with Bright Bridge as a whole. Um, talk to me about some of those, how, you know, again, you have this study now, what do you do? So can you walk us through some of the services and, and programs that you, that you offer for nonprofits? And then potentially, um, are you tweaking any of those or is this study reinforcing some of those that you're going to continue on with? Yeah, a, a little bit of uh, both, you know, mm -hmm. so, you know, we had some ideas based upon just general feedback and observations in our 16 years of serving nonprofits. So I think it'd probably be helpful to just share with your audience kind of our, our genesis. So Charity sure. Net USA, you know, we started as a nonprofit uh, startup center. So we, we've built our 16 year legacy on helping nonprofits get incorporated in their, in their states of operations, uh, as well as accomplishing their 501c3. And we've helped over 30,000 um, nonprofits since inception and we're on pace to do uh, help almost 2000 nonprofits get their 501c3 status uh, this year. So um, while we're extremely proud of how many nonprofits we've helped get operational, um, you know, where we, where we see the futures is how do we help them, you know, stay operational? How do we help them grow? And, and so that's what we were, we're trying to learn where we can add the most value. Um, and so when we talk, when we talk about where are we going with it, you know, like fundraising is a great example. So uh, we have just launched a new fundraising uh, a package, you know, for, for our clients as a direct result of the study, we had nice. not done much in fundraising and I kind of liken it to, we are not professional fundraisers. I want to be clear that that's not our, our goal. That's not what we're trying to accomplish here. But, you know, so many nonprofits, they get that 501c3 and they want to know now what, 
So we want to arm them with that fishing pole and that tackle box and, and, and teach them how to go do it. They ultimately have to be, you know, driving their own success, but we at least want to help them get a, get a nice running start. And, and we were starting that right before uh, the pandemic hit. So now uh, our, our new fundraising package has a lot of uh, how to raise funds digitally as part of that. So, uh, so that's one example. Um, I'm really glad I just want, before you go to the second or the sure. subsequent examples, you know, a, I think that's awesome that you're doing that. I have been wildly impressed as I've interacted with, you know, um, organizations that we work with over throughout the pandemic, a lot of them have pivoted and are doing really, really well, actually, as a result of it. Part of it that I point out is um, a lot of organizations were spending so much money putting on in-person events or galas where they had to have caterers and rent out, um, you know, an expensive venue and all the other costs that come along with it. And many of them, as they've shifted to digital or virtual sorts of fundraising or events, the cost to put it on is so much lower that even if they're not grossing the same amount, because the, that's so much more profitable, they have done really, really well. And so for you know organizations that are running nonprofits, like please don't give up, don't throw in the towel. There are plenty that are thriving. And curious if if what you've seen, you know, comment on that, if any, you know, anything, but I just want to acknowledge, you know, your point there about, you know, rethinking fundraising, but that it's plenty of organizations are able to be successful. And I'm glad you're helping them. Yeah, I think, you know, what, when I think I'll, I'll use the example of a nonprofit that I'm, I'm on the board with, with mm-hmm. a, a pet rescue here in Orlando, you know, so we do two uh, major fundraisers a year. One is really around, uh, you know, raising uh, funds for, for the year. And the other one's really more of a, a donor appreciation. And while, yes, we raise a, a, a lot of money, for the for the nonprofits operations throughout the year, the main driver is really just to thank our donors, right? And, you know, have an event to celebrate what we've accomplished throughout the year, and also to thank them for everything that they do. And yes, we also solicit donations. So to your point, yeah, when you take out the expense of hosting all that, and you just talk about what are what are what is the organization taking away and doing with that, I think you know net net they're actually you know there's a surplus there for the ones that are that are able. Um, to, to do it. Um, and then also most people that donate don't donate for the tax write-off. You and I both know this, regardless of what your financial uh, status is, most people donate because that is a passion, that is a cause that they believe in. It's helping their community. Um, and so when these nonprofits you know, are asking for help in navigating this, most of us that have the means to do so are rolling up our sleeves and going, yes, I'm still in. The pandemic doesn't change anything. It's just how I help might change. Understood. I'm glad you shared that. And I'm, and I'm glad you shared that personal experience. Do you mind giving a shout out? What is the, uh, that organization in Orlando? <laughs> yeah, a great organization, the Pet Alliance of uh, Greater Orlando. Nice. Right on. That's so cool. What's your personal? Do you have, uh, I mean, you must have animals yourself. Am I into a something there. Yeah, we, we, we do. Uh, and, and aside from Brightbridge and Charity Net, my wife and I, we actually own a, 
a dog and, and cat boarding and daycare business. So wow. uh, say that we are passionate about animals, I guess would be an understatement. <laughs> so uh, in both our in both of our companies, we're actively involved with pet rescues and, and supporting those efforts. So, That's awesome. Uh, and we own a, uh, you know, unfortunately we lost one of our dogs last year, but we, we mm. own a golden retriever currently. That's wonderful. We used to have one as well, the family dog. And that's what my brother and his family have right now. So love to hear that. That's classic. Um, I'm curious for you to just, I know you talked about, um, you know, um, we just were kind of moving on from, from the fundraising aspect. Are there um, other, you know, areas that you're doing with Charing Net USA that you think are applicable to this study? Some of the other kind of services that you're offering that you're, that you're proud of that you want to, um, share with us? Yeah, I, I think it's important just to share, you know, um, philosophically, you know, our, our organization has, has historically uh, focused on smaller nonprofits. So the nonprofits that are, that are really in the heart of America and helping the community. So, um, you know, when we, when we think about the services that we offer and, and you know, what our, um, uh, uh, like I said, philosophy for our clients is we want to meet them where they're at. And since mm -hmm. so many of them are, are smaller or emerging, as our study indicates, um, we've tailored our services around kind of that growth trajectory. So we help with startup services. So getting that 501c3, assisting with writing their strategic plan, uh, launching their first nonprofit website. Um, and then we also help with, as I mentioned, our fundraising uh, services. Uh, we have a, 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 new, a new program uh, gearing up for grants, making sure nonprofits kind of have a path to getting uh, ready for grants. Excellent. A lot of them think, hey, I'm a nonprofit. Where are the grants? And unfortunately, it doesn't work that way. So we want to make sure we, we arm them with a path forward to making sure they are in a position of success when the time comes to apply for grants. Um, and then the third realm is, hey, you're already established and you need help with compliance. So everything from your bookkeeping, your payroll, uh, insurance, um, as well as 990 tax filing. So, you know, we're really trying to be there, uh, you know, throughout that life cycle, whether they use us for multiple back office services or wherever they just might have a gap, um, you know, and a need for their current uh, situation. Yeah. And, and sort of a little bit of my aha moment, as you're saying that I want to want to ask you a little bit about sort of um, well, your experience, I mean, I think it can relate well being um, on the board of a nonprofit is that as you're talking about all these different um, um, ways that you're helping, you know, nonprofit organizations, I actually, for anyone listening to this, and I just think more so, you know, board members should really potentially be the ones to reach out to you or get engaged. I mean, I also find, you know, there's such a um, fundamental difference, right, from a legal structure and, you um, whether you want to call it best practices or quite frankly, the law of operating a for-profit business than for a nonprofit. Part of what I see a lot of, I'm curious your experience on boards and how that plays into what you guys offer um, is that, you know, board members have a fiduciary responsibility to a nonprofit if they're serving on that board. Um, yet so many board members of nonprofits are obviously very giving, passionate people that want to get involved with the board, but lack the, the true understanding of compliance regulations, best practices. So sort of a way is I always saw what you were doing was like kind of for the nonprofits themselves and thinking of like the executive director or the CFO or the 
operations people might hire and engage with, with, with your charity net USA. Um, but I'm seeing even more so, I think that board members could get a lot out of bringing those, bringing you to the, inside the organization. Yeah. I mean, quite, quite frankly, that's who's mostly bringing us to their organization is if it's not the executive director. It is, it is the board, um, you know, saying, Hey, we have a gap or a need and we need some professional expertise, you know? And so, and I'll, I'll share this with the listeners, just because we have services at all those different stops along the way, you know, that's not our attempt of saying, Hey, just hire us for everything. You know, it, it's important that if you have, if you have uh, someone that knows, um, you know, as a CPA on your board or a volunteer and they can do your 990 or tax work, use them. If you have somebody that can help build and support your website, use them, you know, uh, but the, the, the challenge that we, that we find quite often, especially with these smaller emerging nonprofits is they start off with saying, yes, we have someone and those people are well-intended. And next thing you know, it, the tax deadline's coming and the 990's not ready yet, or the website's not ready yet, or the 501c3 application isn't ready yet, or worse, it got returned, and now we start the clock all over again. You know, so um, you know, we just want to make sure that wherever that that nonprofit's need is, that they can call us, and we can kind of step in. Um, mm -hmm. Our philosophy is, if we can't help, then we most likely have a partner that can. So, um, you know, if, if a nonprofit is in, in doubt, you know, just to give us a call, you know, we'll provide good counsel. If we can help, we'll step in. If we can't, we'll, we'll find a partner depending upon what their unique need is. I appreciate you said that. And, you know, I always try to create with my community and with our brand, what we're doing at Charity Charge, trust really matters. And so um, I really feel like that last part that you said is really true because, you know, I don't want to put the cart before the horse or I want to be respectful of however we announce or whatever. But I know we're going to be collaborating on some stuff. Um, and, you know, I appreciate that you're willing to like to bring us into that. And that kind of shows me that you're willing to seek out, you know, good partners. Um, if, if it's something that you can't offer directly, um, that you're just going to bring in partners that can fulfill that need. But you're, you know, obviously trying to find great ones. So um, I just wanted to validate what you were saying to, to our <laughs> community and, and those listening. Coming back to that, I just, I got to ask you something, because something's, when you, when we originally got connected, did, did you or your wife have a, a, a um, had you, either of you gone to Wash U or there was some commonality? Yeah, no, I, I went to St. Louis, St. Louis University. Yes, okay. You, so, yeah. Got That's it. Nope. Got it. Okay. I was just trying to rack my brain. I was just this, through this whole thing. I was just trying to remember the very unique, uh, you know, connection <laughs> there or what that was. Yep, That's I great. Lived, I lived in St. Louis for about 10 years. So, um, loved it. Great, great town, underappreciated town. If you haven't spent time in St. Louis, I encourage people to go. <laughs> yeah. It was a lot of fun going there, um, during college and some cool stuff. I was fortunate. I was, I was there when, um, in the transition period when the Cardinals, uh, I guess won a world series, the old stadium went down, the new stadium went up. So I got to go to games at the old stadium and the new stadium. It, um, then, then you and I certainly overlapped because my first year there was the old stadium and uh -huh. I did go to the old stadium. Uh, and then I'm a huge baseball fan. I, ironically, though, a Cubs fan. <laughs> so, right. Uh, and then I got to see the new stadium uh, stand up too. But uh, love being around all the Cardinals fans and the 
more more importantly, diehard baseball fans that were in. Sure. It, it, it was great. I'm glad. You, so, you know, um, you know, I obviously had to adopt the, the Cardinals while I was there, but I'm a native of Baltimore. So I'm an Orioles guy and, you know, I'm born in 86 and uh, we had a uh, uh, split a package of season tickets with uh, with some other family members. So uh, I grew up going to a lot of the games, you know, a lot of fond memories in the, uh, you know, throughout the 90s, especially uh, going to games with my dad and brother. Um, you know, back when the Orioles were, were, were pretty legitimate, you know, we had some good years there. So, yeah. Uh, well, and one of the most respected, you know, ball players of all time, Cal Ripken. So absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. I went with my father to the, uh, tw- I think it would have been 2131 when he broke the record. My dad took my brother to the, when he tied it and then I, or it was the reverse, but yeah, Cal was a real hero and that was cool to have as a sort of a role model, you know, like growing up as a kid in, in Baltimore uh, during that time period. Yeah, that's great. So I, I know we shifted gears off that. I want to come back yeah. to kind of round this out about sort of a question about the study. I'm just wondering, which is based on this first study, I'm calling it the first, I'm hoping there might be more in the future, sort of what are your thoughts? Like, what would you want to know more about what, you know, professionally about the space or just like your even your personal curiosity of, you know, if you were to run another study, like what do you think you might, I know I didn't give you a, a heads up that I was going to ask this question, but, <laughs> but just curious, like where, where might you go from here potentially? Yeah, so, so our goal, this is our inaugural study and we are going to make this a benchmarking study. So our, okay. our goal is that um, right now we're leaning towards annually, obviously with mm-hmm. COVID it's kind of shifted some dates around. Uh, but, you know, we're going to go into this planning at being an annual benchmark study. So this was our first. Um, and, you know, while I don't wish any big macro changes, um, I think that every year is going to present a unique set of challenges. This year it's this year it's uh, COVID. Next year it might be, you know, a, a Democratic president. And what what is that? You know, what are the impacts to nonprofits that? that a change in leadership means, you know, so I think there'll always mm-hmm. will be an undertone to yes. each annual study, but the core study will be a, a benchmarking where we use it, we communicate, we share, because um, ultimately we all want these nonprofits to be successful, right? They, they fill in huge gaps. We're seeing it right now with COVID, especially these smaller nonprofits, they're filling huge gaps in, you know, both um, you know, in, in the city and rural uh, America where there are, are clear needs and we, and we need them. So we need them to be successful. Uh, and so anyone that is supporting nonprofits, um, whether you're in the, in the private or for-profit sector or not, you know, we really need to uh, have our ear to the, to the pavement and knowing what's going on, what are their challenges so we can use that to act and respond and support. Um, cause at the end of the day, they are small businesses and everyone, you know, knows that, that, um, you know, the, the saying with small businesses that, you know, uh, you know, most of them fail after two or three years. Mm-hmm. So in a nonprofit, unfortunately, isn't any different. So if we can, um, really understand where their challenges are and make sure that we are a voice presenting solutions and communicating, um, then we can help be part of the, part of the solution and not the problem. Um, and, in, and some of that might just be providing good counsel that maybe starting a nonprofit isn't the right thing for you to do. Maybe you should be, you know, establishing um, uh, a volunteer with an existing, you know, nonprofit. Mm-hmm. 
you know, and that's, and that's quite often some of the conversations that we have with, you know, have with clients. You know, as we sort of round out this interview, I, I want to echo that. I mean, I think that, um, just like not being an entrepreneur or a founder of a company and starting a business is for everyone or the right thing to do. Uh, the same is true of nonprofits. And I think that sometimes it's a little bit, I feel taboo for, for me to say that because, you know, you want to believe that all organizations um, are, are, are great and tackling some sort of like amazing mission. But I think the reality is there's a lot of replication um, of, of missions um, in the nonprofit space. And, um, you know, I try to urge a lot of people that come to me that are interested in starting a nonprofit to first look at, you know, take an assessment of potentially, you know, if you're thinking of sort of on a community or local level, what are there other organizations that are already doing great work in your community? Um, if they have the same mission, go work there or join the board or volunteer with them. If there's some sort of like little bit of mission overlap, um, I've heard this from past guests and thinking about um, some specific guests that shared certain things, but, or if there's some sort of overlap, but it's, you know, a couple degrees off, go to them and tell them you want to start this, you know, division at that nonprofit. Um, so I think there's a lot of opportunities to do that um, for people that, that um, may decide to go that path versus just starting one themselves. Yeah. I think, you know, where the, the newer emerging nonprofits, you know, can add, uh, the most, you know, value. And cause we get this all the time. You know, in fact, I had a, we had a, uh, social media post recently where somebody said, Oh, there's too many, there's too many nonprofits. And while I, I understood what they meant by that, mm -hmm. um, you know, it also showed, you know, um, a lack of understanding too, because, um, what I, I think, you know, is it Amazon that, that, that has that like last mile program where they're trying to yes. solve how, how do we get to that last mile of delivery to our, to our clients? Well, that's really how smaller nonprofits fill the get, fill the gaps. So while yes, you know, you know, uh, nonprofits should listen to some of the comments that you and I and others are saying about looking to see if they can fill in with current nonprofits. It's also, we got to find that balance because we don't want to to, um, you know, dissuade the ones that are going to solve that gap, that last mile uh, program that, that all of our cities have. You know, I think of food banks, for example, like right now, uh, you know, there's plenty of supply, there's plenty of demand, but some of these food banks, you know, they stop at a certain point, they need help. They need help taking that mm -hmm. food that last mile using the Amazon example. So sure. that's where a new nonprofit could pop up in a smaller rural you know, community and say, hey, we got it. We're going to take the food that last mile from some of these regional food banks and get it, you know, get it to to our local community. So I think when you see when you think when you're solving possibly that when there might be overlap, but you can really um, be the grout and that tile and grout philosophy, you know, then go for it. You know, but, but to, I'm, to your no, point. I'm so glad. Well, I just want to say, I'm so glad you actually brought up that point because the reality is there can never be enough, you know, enough good, enough help support out there. And there are gaps, you know, and it's, I'm really glad that you brought that up in particular. So, so thank, thank you for highlighting on that. I don't know if I had interrupted you. I apologize if that <laughs> no, was fine. the case. That no, was good. I, so coming back to the, to the study here for a second, for those listening along, um, 
This study, again, is titled The Essential Work of Emerging Nonprofits, Challenges in the First Five Years and the Impact of the Pandemic. Um, of course, I'm with Brian Davis, the president of BrightBridge and CharityNet USA. Uh, where can people download, find this study, Brian? Right now, they can go to uh, charitynetusa.com, uh, and then in the media section, there's a download to, to the study. We're also launching a new site because, as we shared, this is going to be an annual study, and we'll also be sharing additional metrics and observations we have on the emerging nonprofit community. Uh, and that that site's going live here in the next couple of weeks, which is uh, will simply be nonprofitstudy.org. Uh, so look for that awesome be, uh, released here here soon as well. What a good domain name! I love I, it. Yeah, we couldn't believe it was available, so we right we we, we uh, snatched it up. <laughs> I love it. That's great. Well, Brian, um, thank you so much for coming on and really, really appreciate you and the work you're doing um, for all the wonderful organizations out there. Thanks so much. Yeah, and no, I appreciate you having the podcast and appreciate everything, you know, your organization, Charity Charge, is doing to, to help the nonprofit community as well. It means a lot to me. I think, you know, in closing here, I'll just say this. That's what I've really appreciated about this space. Of course, I, I've enjoyed... Um, creating a product or products for nonprofits and seeing that. Um, what I've really appreciated are the relationships that I build when there's like-minded entrepreneurs. So I'm really appreciating um, getting to know you better and, uh, and everything that you're doing. So it's really, yeah. it's well-received. Thank you. I agree. I mean, what, what better space to be in when you know that every morning when your feet hit the floor, you're working on services and solutions that impact you know, society. I mean, that's what's so great about it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you so much. All right. All right I'm going to, I'm going to round out this episode. Thank you to everyone for listening in.